Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Peter Delaney. Peter is the Chief Technology Officer at OptiScan, a company known for their miniaturized confocal microscopes and microscopic imaging technologies. He is here to speak about current trends and technological advancements in the field of in vivo fluorescence imaging. Let's jump in. You mentioned the use of scanning fiber technology, and we're hoping that you could do a review for the audience of how this compares to bundle fiber. And so what we have done is prepared just a quick uh, slide to maybe help guide you through this answer, which the audience should see just in a moment. But can go ahead and I'll bring that up. Yeah, look, I, I, I can start to answer that. Bundle fiber is an approach that, that doesn't scan the fibre. It has a densely um, populated bundle of fibres and that has has certain value in some applications, but there, there are several limitations. So the main one being resolution versus field of view. Now, the, the, the bundle of fibres, for, for, for optical fibres to guide light, they have to have a core and a cladding. And when they're used as a confocal pinhole, that core is a lot smaller than the total diameter of the, 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 the core and cladding. And so necessarily there's, there's information missing if you project that into a specimen. There's also a physical size limitation in the sense that the, the bundled fiber probes, you know, the, the, the biggest ones have something like 30,000 fibers in the bundle. So, that's a maximum information content of about 0.03 megapixels compared to continuous scanning, which doesn't have any gaps and you can fully sample the optical domain and over a large field of view can achieve submicron resolution and, and generate, you know, two, two megapixel images, for example. And so, that's that is is a severe limitation, and so the the only way to get truly cellular level resolution with a bundle is to have a very small field of view and it, different probes for different fields of view. But if you have a large field of view, such as half a millimeter, then you you don't have cellular resolution. If you want cellular resolution, you you can only get something. In the, in the order of a, a very small fraction of that. That's that's the main difference, and that's really why I didn't in, include that in the in the in the presentation. No, that's a, that's a great answer. So thank you for that. Okay, so next, could you comment where does whole body fluorescence imaging fit into the mix? You didn't have a chance to cover that today. No, I, I, I touched on it in the example of the, the, the molecular labeling in the pancreas that in whole body imaging would have been obscured by the accumulation of dye in the liver in the time frame of that experiment. Whole body imaging is, you know, a very powerful technique for localising accumulation of, of, of fluorescence in, in hot spots or, or very particular parts of, of the body. But... It's, it's, it's limited to very small animals and it's certainly not microscopic. 
And uh, there needs to be a clear separation structurally between the accumulation of fluorescence in the target tumour or organ system or region versus other non-specific accumulations of, of, of fluorophore. Perfect. Let's turn our attention back to 3D image generation. Could you just quickly clarify and elaborate how this is, how this process is achieved using a confocal uh, endomicroscopy system, such as the view in, view in vivo system? Yeah, well, the, the, the control of the z-axis is, is pretty important in terms of adjusting imaging depth because the fundamental enabling feature of, for, for in vivo microscopy is optical sectioning unless you have a very thin specimen. So the, if, if you don't have the control of, of depth, there's two things you can't do. One is find the optimal plane for a non-three-dimensional investigation, just, just trying to find the relevant tissue or the relevant cells, such as the example with calcium imaging earlier, where the, the activity was in a, a planar plexus that, that, that needed to be identified and singled out. But of course, the 3D aspect also introduces the concept of a, a virtual biopsy. So you're, you're effectively sampling a volume of tissue, much like taking out a volume of tissue with a real biopsy and, uh, and sectioning it. So the three-dimensional aspect's very important. The other thing that it, it, it compensates for is, is tissue surface um, topography. You know, if you have a fixed focal plane depth, you, you really will see dramatic changes in the image simply based on moving from one region to another rather than the fact that the tissue is actually different. It's, it's, it's very important to be able to move through the layers to create that microanatomical context for the images that, that you're producing. Very good, very good. Can you comment, um, you mentioned in the schematic for the operation of the system that uh, blue, blue wavelength 488 nanometers excitation is used and not the near infra infrared range. Can you clarify as to the rationale here and requirements? Yeah, the, the, the rationale for that selection for the, for the current systems is basically based on the, the number of options for fluorescence. So right now, if you look across the gamut of molecular labels, pH indicators, calcium indicators, live dead markers, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, the fluorophores are available for multiple wavelengths, but the largest number still centers on the good old fluorescein filter set. And so this is, you know, that, that, that's the reason for that. that. Now, certainly there's other dyes you could image at other wavelengths, and certainly there's there's a lot of development going on for uh, dyes that are in the infrared region. But at the moment, that that doesn't offer the same versatility in terms of the just the, the number of protocols you could achieve as blue. But it, it's going to be more relevant in 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 the future, increasingly. Okay, maybe as an add-on, is there any safety issues having class four lasers on the end of an optical fiber? Yeah, well, well, the the view in vivo doesn't have class four laser. It's safe for use, and that's very important for having a probe that you know you're going to orient in in all sorts of uh, directions. Multi-photon and, and second harmonic generation, and and you know other forms of nonlinear microscopy dependent on class four lasers and those can blind you or, or burn a hole in you pretty quickly if, if um, not controlled carefully. The 
the issue with 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 multi-photon and, and probes, yes, if you're going to produce, and in fact we have we have successfully demonstrated prototypes multi-photon microscopes in our in the form factor of our scanner, so it's possible, but it's 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 it is a real problem to to be waving that around the room, and and you know, and and that's why the the, the benchtop rigs have you know light tight boxes, or at least for the wavelength um, involved. Sometimes they're transparent, but they block infrared. But you know, the animal chambers are very important, and they they have interlocks for all of everything that opens and shuts, so that if you have to access the animal, it will will kill the laser. It's 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 a manageable manageable issue, but they do require significant management. Okay, well, thank you for that for that, Peter. Just going to get a couple more questions in here and wrap up. Could you comment on the actual working distance of the optics or the depth of imaging? How Martin has asked, can you really image deep from the surface of the optics? Yeah, look, the 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 view in vivo really largely follows the same rules as, as as confocal microscopy and it's very tissue dependent so for example in the cornea which for example is the the the, the image the image that you use in your audience poll slide you can pretty much use the full working distance of the optics which is about 350 microns but in other tissues that are highly scattering like the the stomach mucosa it, it's more like 100 microns mm-hmm. So yeah, very much, very much tissue dependent. Okay, and maybe just final: can can you work with more than one color in a particular protocol? Fluorescent dye, I'm assuming, is the suggestion here. Yeah, the the, the present the level of integration to achieve the miniaturization does limit some some aspects of that flexibility. However, we pretty much cover the whole visible spectrum. So with one fluorescent wavelength uh, sorry one one excitation wavelength the, the the instrument has you know eight filters typically and you can carve out narrow parts of the, the spectrum so for example something like photoporphyrin 9 will emit mostly red even with blue excitation and that can be imaged beside something with a, a more typical green fluorescence. So it is possible to perform multispectral imaging with the system on the detection side, but it's at a fixed excitation at the moment. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.